have to do with God, man's relationship to him. The final six are horizontal. They have to do with man's relationship with each other. I think there's significance in that order. It will never happen that we can successfully interrelate to each other until we first appropriately and rightly relate to God. And once we have established a proper relationship with the Lord, then we have a basis for relationship with each other. And so I think it's tremendously important for us to digest the truth that God gives us in preliminary fashion. All the difficulties that men struggle with on the face of the earth have their roots in this basic relationship. And so we see from these commandments, God's intention for us, for our benefit. We talked last week about the fact that God alone was worthy of worship. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So establishing from the very beginning who is to be worshipped. The second commandment, as we'll consider together this morning, is how that God demands to be worshipped. It's not up for option. Even though he is the only God to be worshipped, it does matter how we worship him. There's some very specific uh, instructions God gives to us, some negative and some positive. Man was built to worship. Man was built to respond to God like the eye responds to light and the ear responds to sound. God has built within each one of us the desire to communicate with his maker. The Bible says that God has set eternity in our hearts. And when we have a broken relationship, which happens because of sin, we fail to be fulfilled in that most basic dimension of our lives. And that's why Jesus came, that at the cross sin could be put away and there could be a mending of that relationship between us and our God and spiritually we might be restored to him. It's important the way we worship. The verses that we'll look at in verse 4 state to us very specifically how we are to worship the right God. We can worship the right God the wrong way. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God. Any image that could possibly be conceived would never be sufficient to describe God. John chapter 4 declares to us God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. There is one dimension of divine communication. We could never reduce the immortal, eternal, invisible God to something material, something visible, something tangible. It's impossible to reduce the creator to something that man could create. And so the thing that makes uh, reducing God to an idol wrong is that it becomes the work of men's hands and then in turn men bow before the work of their own hands. That becomes idolatry. 
And so God, who is invisible, almighty, eternal spirit, can never be reduced to something that is tangible or material. It simply misrepresents God. So first of all, this commandment teaches us we must have a proper conception of God. If we're to worship Him, the only true God, in the right way, we have to have a proper conception of God. And anything that would reduce Him to a material object or thing would certainly misrepresent the Lord. And so He forbids that for our sake, not for His but for our own sake. One of the reasons for that is found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 115. I want you to turn over there with me. There's four verses you'll look at as I read them. Psalm 115, the fourth through the eighth verses. I think this is one of the most accurate and vivid descriptions of what the second commandment is all about. I'll give you a moment to find it so you can follow along. Psalm 115, looking with me at verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they with their throat. And they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. There's the problem in the last verse. They that make them are like unto them, and so are all they that serve them. Man becomes like that which he worships. And for us to create a pseudo-God or an idol of God, we become like that which we worship. If it's a false god, then we are on really the wrong road and we're going to be left with an imprint of the god which we worship. It's true. On the other hand, if we worship the living God, we become like him. Isn't that right? The Bible says as we look into the face of Jesus Christ, we are changed into the same image from glory unto glory. And the only way we can do that is by our spirit in communication with God in worship, in praise and in prayer. And as we are exposed to the presence of Jesus Christ and worship the true and the living God in the scriptural prescribed manner, in spirit and in truth, we are changed into that image. If we have an idol of any kind, we become like that which we worship. They that make them are like unto them. That's what the Bible says. If we worship one thing or another, it will leave its imprint upon us. And so we know that if we will worship God, he will leave his imprint upon us. We know, Paul said, that all things are working together for good to them that love God, to those who are the call according to his purpose. Why? So that we might be made conformable unto the image of of his dear son. Isn't that terrific? We can be made like Jesus. And that happens by worship. That happens by the word and by worship. We are made like unto him. So God says for our sake, we want to be made like him. We must worship the true God 
in a true way. We need a proper conception of the Lord. Another reason that is outlined for us in the statement that God makes to Moses is because I am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Now that jealousy is not a character flaw that God has that because we would turn our attention from him, he's jealous. Not for his sake, for our sake. He knows we are going to miss out. If we settle for another God, we've settled for second best. We've settled for a God who can't help us, can't hear us, can't assist us, can't save us. And so for our benefit, he's jealous for us, not for himself, because there's some basic need that God has for us to worship him. We touched on that last week. God is totally and complete in and of himself. He is not completed by my worship. I do not add anything to God by my giving, by my worship. If I gave him my intelligence, he wouldn't be any smarter. If I gave him my bank account, he wouldn't be any richer. If I gave him my strength, he wouldn't be any more powerful. God is self-sufficient in and by himself. So my worship does not add anything to the Lord. He was complete before I was even conceived, before the plan of salvation even was known, before man was created, God was complete. So he's not jealous for himself, he's jealous for us. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation, to them that hate me. Now you say, Pastor, that doesn't seem right, that a God of love would hold children responsible for their parents' sins or their parents' iniquities. Understand what God is saying. Keep the, those verses in their proper context. Any text that is not in context is a pretext. It's not God's word. The context of what we're talking about is very specific. It's how to worship God. Worship the right God the right way. Because if you do not, in fact, he calls it hating him. And in that regard, if man will not worship God according to his commandment, that will affect his children. It will affect his grandchildren. It will affect his great-grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Specifically, how a man perceives God, how he worships God, will affect the next generation the generation after that, and the generation after that. What we're dealing with this morning is very significant. If you love your kids, and your grandkids, and your great-grandchildren, you're going to listen closely to what God has to say, because he said if we even worship the true God in a false manner, then it will have effect upon succeeding generations. That's very specific. He doesn't just visit my mistakes upon my son or upon his son and, and his son after me. That isn't what the Bible says. But in the context of worship and worshiping the right God the right way, it will ripple down to the third and fourth generation. I think it's easier if we can illustrate truth. So if you'll turn over with me to the book of Second Chronicles, the 26th chapter, We'll look together at kind of a family history. And this truth can 
be better understood perhaps if it's illustrated for us. The man that's identified as a king, King Uzziah. Verse 16 of Second Chronicles. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, okay? The sixteenth verse. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up with pride to destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God. Now what sin did Uzziah commit? Did he get drunk? Did he commit adultery? Did he steal? What was the sin that God identifies this king of doing? He transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. This man believed in the Lord Jehovah, the same God we have sung about and worshiped this morning. He was worshiping, had gone to church to worship the right God. But he transgressed against the Lord and judgment came upon him because he did not worship God the way God had prescribed to be worshiped. Verse 17, Azariah the priest went in after him with fourscore priests of the Lord. They were valiant men. They withstood Uzziah the king and said to him, It appertaineth not to thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth. He said, I'm the king. I can worship God any way I please. It doesn't matter how you worship God. As long as you worship God, he'll accept it. He'll be satisfied. Don't you believe it? It does matter how you worship God. He seeks a certain kind of worship. And this man went to church to worship the right God, but he worshiped him in the wrong manner. And God sent judgment upon him. And Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. While he was wroth, the priest with the priest leprosy rose upon his forehead before the priests in the house of God from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hastened also to go, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and he dwelt in a several house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord his God. Then it said, Jotham the son succeeded him. First of all, we had a father who worshiped the true God in a wrong way. The first verse of the next chapter says that Joseph was 20 and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. And then there's a little word, howbeit. You can underline that because it changes everything. It indicates that something happened. There was a difference. 
He entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people did yet corruptly. So we have a father who worshiped the right God in the wrong way, who produces a son who neglects worship altogether. He doesn't go to church. And so I'm sure he heard the stories of how the priest kicked his dad out of church. There was a church fuss. And like so many people that you know, say, I believe in God. I love the Lord. But church has turned me off. And I just don't go to church because of the way they treated my mom or the way they treated my Aunt Tilly or the way they treated my Uncle Charlie. They ask him to leave church and I, church has me turned off. And so there's a father who worshiped the right God the wrong way and he produced a son who neglected worship altogether and did not go to the house of the Lord. Now that's not the end of the story. You can read that he bore a son. Verse 9 says he died and was buried with his fathers and Ahaz. The son reigned in his stead. Verse 1 of chapter 28 says, And Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images of Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the sons of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, here's a great grandson of Uzziah that is being offered as a burnt offering to heathen gods. You see the progression? To the third and fourth generation, Uzziah went to the house of God to worship the true God, but he worshiped in his own way. He didn't come according to God's way. He had made up his mind, it didn't matter how you worship God, just so you're sincere. It does matter, friend. Sincerity is never a substitute for truth. Truth is not made by sincerity. Truth is established and it remains forever. Truth does not change. There are many, many sincere people, but sincerely wrong. And being sincere is not the answer. Scriptural is the answer. And so even though he was a king and made up his mind, he would do it his own way. Leprosy and judgment came upon him. It affected his son, so his son neglected worship. So we have false worship, neglected worship, satanic worship. And then the fourth generation offered as a burnt offering to the God of Balaam in the valley of Hittim. God said, I am a jealous God. And the sins of wrong worship, not knowing the second commandment, not keeping the second commandment, has ramifications to succeeding generations. Your sons, their sons, and your great-grandchildren will be affected. It does matter how you worship God. Because not only do we need a proper conception of God, we need a proper communication of God. And we are teaching successive generations what God is and who God is. And really, we're only one generation away from atheism. If we as parents don't tell our kids who God is and demonstrate what God means to us, they will come another generation that knows not God. We're just one generation away from atheism. Unless we know him by the Spirit and by the Spirit make him known to our children, 
They will not be a generation that are spirit-filled and know the power and dynamic of God. It'll only be because they've seen it demonstrated in our worship. The right God worshiped the right way. And we continue the revival of God from generation to generation. Or it will lose something with each generation until it totally turns away from God. The true God to make molten images and offer heathen sacrifices to other gods. The second commandment is extremely important to us. We teach by the way we worship. The very word means worth script. You tell me how you worship, I'll tell you how much God means to you. What's he worth to you? What, how valuable is he to you? Your worship will demonstrate your worth to or God's worth to you, what you perceive God's worth to be in your life, how important God is to you. So we need a proper communication of God. Visiting, he said, unto the third and fourth generation. But that's not the end of the statement. Don't stop reading there. There's a much better statement in verse 6. He says, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. I'm glad for that statement, aren't you? Showing mercy to thousands who love him and keep his commandments. Praise God. You see, none of the commandments are totally negative. With every negative, there's a positive. You can't have a negative without a positive. And this commandment is not a negative commandment. You never obey the second commandment by, by a negative action. You can't be comfortable and say, I've never made any graven image. I've never bowed before a graven image. I feel very comfortable this morning. You never obey this second commandment because of what you haven't done. Amen. You have not obeyed commandment number two because you haven't never made a graven image and bowed down to it. You've obeyed the commandment when you worship him the right way. Amen? And so it's not a negative statement that we just don't worship him the wrong way. It implies worshiping him the right way. And that our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit are to be a continual sanctuary of praise that flows to the heart of God, spirit worshiping from our spirit to his spirit. Hallelujah. Because God desires it. He seeks such to worship him because he desires it. Secondly, he deserves it. He deserves it. There is none worthy except the Lord, and so he deserves it. And he demands it. Jesus said to Satan when he was being tempted, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Now that's the positive part of the statement. Thou shalt not worship any graven image. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now I think it's tremendously important we get the order of that commandment straight. First, worship. Second, service. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, it'll be a great day in the church when we understand the order of that statement. 
We're so hung up on service. And it's good to serve the Lord. It's important to serve God. But it's more important to worship God. And it's out of our proper conception of God that we are properly communicating our God. And it's out of the vital, vibrant relationship of worship that we have going with our Creator and Sustainer and Redeemer that then we can go and make Him known. It's only as we know Him that we can make Him known. Only as we worship Him that we can demonstrate Him. Worship first, service second. So the first obligation of the church is not service. The first obligation of the church is worship. The first obligation of the church is not winning the lost. The first obligation of the church is to worship God. And out of that warm relationship, out of that vital relationship, what we will do for him will count so much more. If all we're interested in or all God was interested in is service, he could have created three billion more angels and they would have served him without a hitch, without ever saying no, without ever refusing. They could have given him perfect service. God is not interested just in a servant. He wants a bride. Huh? Isn't that what he's coming back for? He's returning for a bride who hath made herself ready. I stood on this platform yesterday and I watched the groom's eyes light up as this lovely young lady walked down this aisle and stood here and it was wedding day. And I just thought in my soul, the heavenly bridegroom, as I read the verses of scripture, I show you a mystery, Christ and the church. And there's coming a day when the heavenly bridegroom is going to stand at the altar and the church is going to come in with wearing a garment without spot or wrinkle or any such thing because that's why he came, that he might present it unto himself. A glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And I want to be that bride of Jesus Christ. He's not interested just in someone to clean the house and make the beds and do the dishes and do the wash. He didn't come for a servant. He came for a bride. Can you say amen? One who loves him and who is devoted and committed and in covenant relationship with him. Hallelujah. Do you have that covenant? That relationship, that bond of, of love with Jesus, that's the vital thing. It's not just the service that God is interested in, but oh, my wife does all those things for me, not because she's paid so well, but because she loves me. Amen? It's out of a love relationship. And I help her once in a while. That's the difference. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Hallelujah. If we can get that done, we won't have a lot of trouble with all the other commandments. Because we'll do what we do because we love him, because we want to please him. We do not want to grieve him. We do not want to offend him. We do not want anything to break that relationship with him. And so it's not legalistic. You know, you can't do this and you can't do this, but you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it because you've got the vertical right, 
the horizontal will be right to you. Hallelujah. Not a negative commandment alone, but a positive one. Worship the Lord thy God. Him only shalt thou serve. Father, put these words in our spirit. Help us to obey your word. Lord, we can keep all of his commandments. You have not given us an impossible task. You've not set them down and said, now do your best. But you have put them there expecting us to obey them. You've declared if we love you, we will keep them. And I pray you'll help us. Help us to worship you.